0: But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, there's a couple familiar faces in the room, and I got to meet a couple of you lovely people before I started. And I'm so excited today to be sharing all about a very special mission. One of my favorite movies to watch, in particular with my spouse, Jared, is the Mission Impossible series. If you've seen any of these movies, like there's 50 of them, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe more like six, um, then you know all about them. But if by chance you have never heard of these movies at all, I'm going to set the stage for you. So the first thing that you must know about the Mission Impossible movies is the music, obviously. It goes like this. da, 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 da. da 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 <laughs> perfect right on cue so that really sets the scene for you and the next most important thing that you must know about these movies is they all revolve around this top secret government agent tom cruise or better known ethan hunt in these movies and his unexpected team of experts they work together to solve some of the evil forces that are coming against them, and they are trying to prevent the planet from its impending doom. At some point in each of these movies, Ethan receives a top secret assignment, usually in some sort of really cool recorded device. And it says these now famous words, your mission, should you choose to accept it. Well, today, I don't know if there's any secret agents here in this room. But uh, we're actually talking about a different type of mission. Uh, Not a mission to defeat an agency, but a mission that will help defeat the evil one. And not a mission to save our planet, but a mission to bring hope and healing to this world. Hope and healing to your life and to the life of those around you. This mission is not top secret, although sometimes it can feel like it because of all of the mixed messages we get in our world and in our culture, we're talking about the mission of marriage. Over the years, culture has defined the purpose of marriage as some things that when we take a closer look at them actually aren't that biblical. My hope for us today is if you're married or not, that we can walk away with a better understanding of the mission of our friendships and, in particular, the mission of marriage as God has intended for us. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I just ask right now that you would open up our hearts to receive your word and your truth. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, we ask this morning. Amen. Well, throughout this series that you've been on in marriage as a church, you've been going through the book of Ephesians, and so that's actually right where we're going to land today as well. That's in the New Testament. So I'm going to invite you now, if you have your Bible or if you use your phone with a Bible app, you can go ahead and get that out right now, or you can also look at the screens because the verse is going to be there. So we're going to Ephesians, and we're in chapter five this morning. I'm actually going to start us back at verse 1, because the part I got said, and further, and I thought it really made sense to give us a little more context. So I'm going to start at 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I'm going to skip to verse 21 here. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, that means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives, you should also submit to your husbands in everything. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave his his life for her to make her holy. You might want to highlight that word holy or underline or circle. And clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church. You might want to underline or highlight that phrase, glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy. There's that word again, so you might want to highlight the word holy. And without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually loves himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Verse 31. As the scriptures say, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Well, this book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. And the goal of this whole letter was he was writing to these people that were following Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And he really wanted to broaden their horizons, that they would have a deeper understanding of God's eternal purpose and grace And he also wanted to help give them uh, this purpose to seek out this thing called holiness as followers of Christ. Specifically, in this fifth chapter, Paul is talking to married people and the sort of relationship that those two should have together. I don't know about you, but those words that we just read in Ephesians, they're talking about love and respect and holiness That doesn't really sound like how we define it as a culture. I mean, we say things like, ball and chain. We joke, we say things like, oh, marriage is just texting each other. What do you want for dinner? I don't know, what do you want for dinner for the rest of your life? Or I can't tell you how many times I have heard from some very well-meaning people who say, happy wife, happy life. Or this whole concept where romance almost becomes a religion that people dedicate their lives to. Are these things actually biblical? It's almost like we've lost our mission. We turn it into a joke, or we forget altogether that we even have a mission. That's a terrible place to be, because when you don't have a mission, you end up wandering around aimlessly. And last time I wandered around aimlessly, I almost ended up at a Taco Bell. As followers of Jesus, he calls us to live on mission to know God, to make him known, to love him and to love others. It's a critical component in our lives to complete this mission, to know what that is. And as Christ followers, we should be allowing our perspectives, our worldviews to all be shaped by Christ and his word. There's several critical aspects of this mission of marriage found here in Ephesians five. Today, I'm going to be sharing two key components of this mission of marriage as we see in scriptures. The first is this. Marriage is all about unity. We, not me. Would you repeat that after me? We, not me. That was was a little weak, okay? We, not me. We, not me. Oh, yes, very good. Verse 31 of Ephesians 5 should sound familiar. This verse that said, A man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The reason this should sound familiar is because this verse, this is not the only time we hear this in Scripture. In fact, Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's actually quoting Jesus, who said these words in Matthew nineteen five, when Jesus is doing a teaching on marriage. But that's also not the first time you heard it in Scripture because Jesus is actually quoting God from Genesis 2, the creation of Adam and Eve. We see early on in Scripture, at the very beginning, how important unity and oneness is to God, later confirmed by Jesus. And then Paul says, hey, this is really important. This oneness and unity goes beyond some sort of sexual intimacy that we often think of, but a oneness that breathes unity in and out, in word and in action. In verse 25 it says husbands love your wives. This word for love that's used here in the scripture, it's a present tense verb. It's a continuous and it's an active love, a love that is self-sacrificing, caring, and committed, and it shows itself seeking the good of the person who is loved. Unity is achieved when there is this continuous and active love. But we live in a world that says, take care of yourself first. You know, get what you deserve. Make sure you have your me time, me, me, me. You don't have to go further than a reality TV show, right? Well, this is a dangerous place. You can watch Real Housewives of whatever county you want or pretty much any other show. And it shows this toxic culture that we've believed, that is the example that is set in our culture for marriage. It's being taught in our communities and in our homes. It's twisting the truth for a lie, So if marriage is all about we and not me, how in the world are we supposed to do that? One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter 2. And in Philippians 2, it says that we should all look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. In theory, this sounds really easy, doesn't it? You don't have to be married to know that this is easier said than done. There is a huge challenge in achieving unity with two different people who have two different perspectives, two different lives, two different parents, two different upbringings, all until the point of marriage. When they're trying to come together, you better believe our biggest challenge is ourselves and our selfishness. To achieve true unity in a marriage or even in a really close friendship, it requires self-sacrifice specifically for the purpose of another person, laying down our preferences for the sake of someone else. This is how unity is generated. So my husband Jared and I, we just celebrated our 15 year wedding anniversary about two weeks ago. Yeah, this is very exciting. Thank you. And in those 15 years, we have learned a whole lot about each other. And we've learned a whole lot about marriage. And believe it or not, we're still learning. (laughs) And we don't always get things right. I can remember in our first year of marriage, we were having one of those really stupid disagreements. You know the kind that really only happens when you live with someone? Or you're with somebody, like, a lot? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh... I honestly, I asked my husband about this and he couldn't remember either. We, neither of us remember what it was that we were arguing about. That's how dumb it was. But I very distinctly remember wanting to make sure that at the end of the conversation, I would be right and he would know it. (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful way to start out a marriage? Uh, As we both started to talk, I did some pretty annoying and not very loving things. You know, like, talk over him, allow myself to get visibly upset. And the temperature in that room was rising, like my frustration level. Anticipating a challenge from Jared, I raised my voice, and I gave him a pretty cold shoulder. But what he did next couldn't have surprised me more. Jared sat down, looked me in the eye, and he said, you are more important to me than this thing that we're arguing about. I'd rather be wrong if it means that we're not arguing. I'm gonna be honest with you, I actually felt a little annoyed because I had my speech all prepared. The Academy Awards would be knocking down my door with how wonderful it was. But my husband humbled me in the best possible way. I learned that evening, marriage is we, not me. We're on the same team. When one of us loses, we both lose. Humbling ourselves and deferring to each other, laying down our side, laying down our pride for the sake of another person creates unity. And we have to have unity if we want to complete this mission of knowing God and making him known and loving him and loving others Married or not, that is the mission for all of Christ's followers. So there's a few questions that I think would be really beneficial for self-reflection for us today. The first is this: How often do I lay aside my own preferences for the benefit of someone else? Maybe see if you can think of a specific instance. The second is which ways does my selfishness come out in my relationships? So again, this is also, if you're not married, these things apply to you. Is there a behavior pattern that you notice in yourself? Now, before I move on to this next part of the mission of marriage, there's another piece that I think is really critical to obtaining unity that sometimes we get wrong. And I really wanted to make sure that I mentioned To obtain unity within marriage, you've got to have mutual respect. We see examples of Jesus showing respect to others. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them when you're married, as a married couple, you learn a lot about your spouse, including what would hurt them the most. It takes mutual respect on both parties to learn to tame your tongue and to respect your spouse enough not to use those things that they have entrusted you with against them. Before Jared and I got married, we took some premarital counseling and received some really incredible counsel, and I just wanted to share some of these with you as well. I don't have them on slides, but they might be worth jotting down. They could be helpful for you. The first is this, decide in an argument, you're going to resist the urge to name a call. So I'm not talking about like, sweetie, babe, freckle face, unless they're like self-conscious about their freckles then don't say that. Um, But I've heard people call their spouses things like moron, stupid, idiot. Um, And I even had a boss when I worked at Starbucks a long time ago who would call her husband things that I simply can't repeat from this stage. You show mutual respect when you make the conscious choice of what you will call your spouse out of their presence and in their presence. The second is this. Choose your words wisely. We all have emotions, right? And when those emotions are high, we have a tendency to lose the filter on our mouths. Probably most of us in this room, if we were honest, have said things that we wish we could take back, but we can't. It's really important to choose carefully what you will say and what you won't say. The third is this. This is a simple way to show mutual respect, is to make decisions together. Now, this doesn't mean everything. You know, sometimes I just want my husband to decide where we're going to eat because I don't want that pressure. But by simply asking the other person what their opinion is, somebody that you live with day in and day out, it shows us of knowing and loving God is this really fancy Christian word called sanctification, which really just means being set apart and being holy, being made more and more into the image of Christ. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says, do not let sin control the way that you live and don't give in to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements requirements of law instead you live under the freedom of God's grace holiness matters it matters in your life and it matters in the lives of the people that you love and especially the people that you're spending a lifetime with it matters to your spouse and to your kids and to your friends our natural inclination is we just want to be happy I did a word study on the word happy because I wanted to see how many times does the Bible talk about happiness. You may be surprised or maybe not. There are zero times that happiness is mentioned in scripture. Now, before you get really sad, <laughs> joy is mentioned many, many, many times. And the difference in case You're not aware between happiness and joy is happiness is really connected to our emotions and to our circumstances. And joy supersedes that and says, even when I'm in a terrible situation, I can still have joy because I'm trusting God, because I'm waiting on God, because I'm putting my hope in God. But the world says, if it makes you happy, then you should do it. If getting married makes you happy, then get married. But what about when being married doesn't make me feel happy anymore? What about when my emotions aren't feeling it and our circumstances get really hard? Did you know if you get married, you're going to encounter difficult circumstances? Job loss. I don't know, maybe a difficult family member? None of us have those a health crisis, something, oh, I don't know, like a global pandemic that you might experience together as a family. Scripture teaches us to be patient and kind and not self-seeking and to not be rude or boastful in those situations and to not keep a record of wrongs. Now, let's go back to this thing about happiness. Are we going to experience happiness in marriage? Oh, yes. Of course, I hope you do. You will experience some of life's greatest, happiest moments that you've ever had in marriage. Is happiness bad? Absolutely not. But should happiness be our mission, what drives us, what our purpose is? It feeds into our selfish nature that we mentioned earlier, this selfishness that can dwindle away through this whole sanctification process. We see in examples in Scripture all over that this process of being set apart and being made holy, being made more like Christ, is done in the context of communities and even in marriages. There's this beautiful thing that God Is the one who does that sanctifying work in us, but he allows us to also be part of that in the lives of other people. What a joy it is to be used in the life of somebody else to help point them to Christ. Because at the end of the day, I should desire that my spouse loves God more than they love me. I should desire that they want God more than me. They want to pursue him more than anything else in this world. Verse 26 in chapter 5 says, Make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. This implies a mutual discipleship that's happening, specifically done by reading God's word and allowing that to transform us and change us. Now, just to clarify, No one person is responsible or should be responsible for the spiritual health of anybody else. You are not responsible for your spouse's relationship with Christ and vice versa. However, there's a specific mission that God gives us in marriage that we see right here in Ephesians 5 to help our spouse pursue holiness individually and together. So I'm a really practical person, and I've already listed some other practical things, but I'm going to um, give some practical things that could be beneficial in marriage. And if you're not married, these could also apply in your close friendships. The first is this, pray together, like out loud. Have you ever heard your spouse pray? I don't know. There are very few sweeter sounds to me. They're hearing my spouse talk to the Father. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, like, I hardly even know what I'm saying, you don't have to carve out a 30-minute prayer time with them. You could start out by just saying one or two-sentence prayers. Don't put pressure on yourself. You don't have to be perfect. <laughs> it's not a competition to see who says the most holy words. It's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish here. And if you have kids, you could even Incorporate them into that. Say a one or two sentence prayer. Jared and I have two little kids, and we just encourage those whatever you can say, the words you muster, we're here, we're doing this together. The second is this memorize scripture together. Anytime our kids have a scripture memory verse that they have for church or for school or something, we all do it together as a family. I don't know about you, but I can hardly remember all my passwords for my online accounts, right? Doing it by myself would be really hard, but doing it with another person is great. So try and memorize some scripture together. Uh, The next spiritual practice that you could add into your marriage would be to find a book or an online devotional that you could do together. So I saw a lot of you took your phones out when I was like, pull your Bible out, right? Because that's a really quick and easy way to find the scriptures. If you have that YouVersion Bible app, there's a plenty, a multitude of free devotionals that range anywhere from a few days to a year. And you can friend your spouse on there, and then you could comment, and you could see, like, read the study together. Um, And the last thing that you could do is you could worship together, so here at church or even at your homes. But by creating these spiritual habits, you're building each other up in the best possible way. So, a couple questions to ask. What kind of spiritual habits do you currently have in your life individually? The second question, what spiritual habit could you add to your marriage that might make a positive difference? And the third, what would your marriage look like? What would your friendships look like if you were more concerned with their holiness than your own happiness? It's a lot, isn't it? Like marriage is simple, but it's really complex and complicated at the same time. Bringing together two imperfect people can almost feel like the title of the movie that we mentioned earlier Mission Impossible. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, unity is possible. And holiness is possible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to live a married life that is all about unity and intended to the pursuit of holiness in your life and in the life of your spouse. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the wise words that you give us that you do not leave us to our own devices, that you don't just expect us to figure out how to live this life by ourselves. Thank you so much for Paul and his obedience to teach us through his letters how we can live a holy life as you intended. And so God, I just pray right now that if there's spiritual habits or practices that we may need to implement or things that we need to change about ourselves, God, would you give us the courage to be able to step out in faith and to do that. We pray all these things in your name, Lord.